This station is conducting a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. Look, before we start this episode of the James McMahon Music Podcast, I need to tell you something. I need your help. I need you, when you finish with the episode, to go to the platform you've listened to this podcast on and give me a rating, a review, and to subscribe too. It helps me cheat the algorithm and get more ears on the podcast. And know this, I'm very grateful for it. Also, I have a substack where I write about music and film and telly and all sorts of stuff. I love it if you sign up for dispatches. There are different price options, five quid a month, 50 quid a year, and for that, you get access to loads of exclusive writing and podcasts. It's the most helpful thing you can do to support the stuff I make. And again, I'd be so grateful. That's spook.substack.com. That's spook with three O's. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank Jesus. This concludes this test of the emergency broadcast system. <laughs> oh, shit. You're listening to the James McMahon Music Podcast. And I'm your host, James McMahon. This is a Spook Media production. Can you sing the alphabet, Joey? Yes, yes, I could. Let's hear you sing the alphabet. A B C D E F to Cookie you're not singing the alphabet. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S. As I realized about a third into this episode, where I connect with pop genius Martin Fry of the immortal ABC, you don't really interview Martin Fry, but listen to Martin Fry, and that's fine. If you wrote Let's Gonna Blow, the Sheffield band's classic debut album, I'd shut up and listen to you too. I think there's plenty of insight into that classic record in what follows, as well as the band's origins, their philosophy, the influence of punk on the seismic creativity of the 1980s pop scene, David Bowie, all sorts of good stuff and all in advance of the band's release of the group's forthcoming live album, Let's Come of Love Live, recorded in their home city in said record's 40th year of 2022. That arrives on April 28th on Live Here Now Recordings. Whoa, whoa, whoa! So where in the world are you? I'm in Florida today. I've got a gig here Thursday night at the... Hard Rock. I'm in the Hard Rock Hotel. So you walk down the corridor and there's um, James Brown's stage costume from 1970. And uh, I bought my coffee this morning and they had, um, uh, you know, there's just tons of stuff everywhere you go in here. Yeah. They play Bruce Springsteen in the lift. It's great. I've been to the one in, um, God, it's near Hyde Park. Yeah, it's a cafe there, isn't it? It's a Hard Rock cafe, I think. This is like a convention centre, big old place. They've got the Beach Boys on tonight. And I think we we play with a whole bunch of other acts on Thursday. So I'm just in the shadow of the um, Universal 
amusement arcade. So they've got like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory and Bubba Shrimp and Forrest Gump and all that stuff in there. I walked over there this morning. So I'm just here for a couple of days. I've been in Miami and then heading back home to London uh, Saturday, Saturday morning. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in East London and it's really cold. So thanks. Which for... bit? Which bit of East London are you in? My son lives in Bethnal Green, so I spend a bit of time over there. Oh right, well I'm in Leighton. Ah uh, yeah, yeah, very nice. But I know, uh, I know, I know Bethnal Green. I guess the two things that come out of where you are is who's in the Beach Boys these days? Is it just Mike Love? I just asked somebody on the phone, Mike Love. I think yeah, uh, Brian Wilson's not involved. Yeah, but you know, I'm tempted. I might pop down there and have a look because I loved Holland. I love the sort of. Um, the later period stuff, yeah, and Sail on Sailor and stuff like that. Oh. Yeah, and I mean, they've had tons of hits, haven't they, you know? A of Brian Wilson songs I'm still trying to work out. Do, do, do. But Heroes and Villains and stuff like that. It's good vibrations, really complex songs. But maybe they don't do those. Maybe they just do Barbara Ann and stuff, yeah. I think it's more of this, this mob stuff and what I can yeah. gather. Um, do you, have you offered the hotel your uh, Lame Soup? No, uh, I've got one left from back in the early 80s. I've had a few built over the years. William Hunt of Savile Rose made me a couple more. I've got some beautiful tuxedos. But um, I spoke to somebody at the V&A, yeah, and they said they've got a bit of Adamant's. They've got Adamant's um, highwayman outfit, and they, they picked up some stuff. Steve Strange, God bless him, he passed away a couple of years ago, but we were good friends. So I think they've got some of his stuff. So, yeah, maybe that's the – perhaps that's the um, – the spiritual home of the gold lame suit, yeah, from the early 80s. God, that feels weird, doesn't it? Does it feel weird that things that you did in the flourishes of youth could be considered museum artefacts? It's all the, be- it's the, the beautiful passage of time, getting older. I mean, I, 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 um, when I was kind of a bohemian living in Sheffield, I'd loved the pistols then, and they did the, um, the interview on TV, and the whole of the Anarchy Tour got cancelled. So I went to see them in Manchester, and then I kind of went to see them again. They came 10 days later and played another show. So I remember taking down a poster off the wall, you know, like a bill poster. And somebody said that's worth like £5,000 now or something. You know, a Jamie Reed screen print poster of the Anarchy Tour. Right, right. Original thing. I might be right, you know. So, you know, work that out. You know, that was just kind of a little free souvenir of that, that afternoon. It is kind of strange. The 80s. Around about 2000, I did a tour with Culture Club and Human League, ABC. We did a sort of arena tour. People said, oh, will anyone show up? And it kind of triggered a whole period of like rewind and uh, reunion and kind of a whole nostalgia kind of business related to the 1980s. You know, it was very successful. And I kind of think that this recent periods lasted longer than the 10 years of the 1980s anyway. You know, yeah, work that out. It's interesting you mentioned the pistols, by the way. I'm from... Uh, I'm from Doncaster. And, yeah. Oh, the Outlook. Uh, Did they play the Outlook, didn't they? Well, this is it, you see. So I've been trying to... Uh, I mean, the band that I'm obsessed with from that era, the Ramones, and it blows, yeah. my, it blows my mind the Ramones played in Doncaster. Uh, and I've been trying to well, find... Well, they played... Would they have played... Uh, which tour would they have played on? They weren't on the Anarchy tour, were they? No. That was Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers. The Pistols played on the Spots Pistol tour. Ash and the Spots tour, Yeah. I saw the Ramones with, uh, I'm sure, did I see the Ramones with Blondie and Talking Heads? You know, that was a hell of a bill. That was the one that came to Doncaster. Yeah, I saw that tour. I'm, I'm older than you, though, you see, so yeah. I've lived through those times. The Ramones, did you ever see the Ramones? No, I was too young. They were I, incredible life. Yeah, yeah, I think it broke up 96, so I'm 42, yeah, okay. so I was yeah, yeah. just sort of too young, really. 
we should talk a bit about your music before no, I, I like bands that are like really extreme like craft work yeah you've got traditional bands like joy division and stuff but real the ramones that was method acting yeah joey ramone and the lyrics explain, got the third explain well, the method acting statement you know you, you might meet justin bieber and he may be about you know to go on stage and sing and then he comes off stage and he's just a regular guy with the ramones with joey dd uh i should know Johnny, Dee Dee, Joey, and we can say Tommy if you want. There's can't lots of Tommy. There's a couple of cousins, wasn't there, that kind of came in. You just know Joey lived it twenty four seven, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, what I believe. I, he I never should... took off those jeans. He never took them off. Much as I would enjoy talking to Martin Fry about punk rock for twenty minutes, I should ask about your music because uh, that's definitely where people will be coming to this episode. Tell me about uh, so the, the the record that's coming out is it April? That's the the live yeah. that's going to love, isn't it? Where did you record that? It was uh, forty years to the day from the release of the Lexicon of Love. It was the anniversary, and uh, we chose to kind of play at the Sheffield City Hall. The band formed in Sheffield, uh, and it was kind of like good good fortune. Somebody said, "Well, it is the fortieth anniversary," so we booked the Sheffield City Hall to play with the. Uh, South Bank Symphonia with the band, with Anne Dudley conducting, with myself singing. And it was kind of a magical, it was a very magical night. And that's the night we recorded for the live, a live album. And in, on the live album, there's like a whole bunch of songs throughout the whole ABC canon period, whatever, uh, repertoire. But there's the Lex Gonna Love in its entirety in there too. And everything, we, we've developed a show over the last 12 years, which was kind of full orchestra. Uh, and tweak the arrangements i hate it when people use orchestra and it's just kind of you can't hear the band or you know it's kind of like a bit schmaltzy it's a kind of show we've developed you know musically yeah and dudley's been brilliant putting that together so that's what's the, that's the live album uh and through the years i haven't really put out a live album so it felt right you know i've served my apprenticeship it's 40 years on how do you um you know i, I guess you know, asking about Sheffield, I, I think yeah. it's really, I think it's really interesting when you look at the musical landscape of Sheffield of your era. Yeah, I mean, it, it felt like there was a lot. It felt like there was a lot of uh, experimentation, and there was some quite difficult music made. Great music, but difficult music. I yeah. always kind of feel a little bit like uh, ABC, and particularly Let's Gonna Love was uh, sort of stood alone, really, it, it, within that climate. It almost felt like you would you were trying to be uh, more pop than anyone else. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Um, no, not really. I mean, we were more pop, but it was a kind of creation. I mean, the Human League were very much about, uh, after reproduction, after Travelogue, they kind of morphed into, yeah, there's ABBA and there's Electronica, there's Maroda, and then their whole vision on Dare was very pop. De- definitely, but it... In like- Sheffield, yeah, we our thing was about going down to Pennies to listen to Herubu and Magazine and uh, Joy Division and the pop group, and then on a th- on a Wednesday night and on a Thursday night, you'd go be out somewhere in another club listening to Earth, Wind and Fire and She and Sister Sledge. So we were obsessed with the idea of making a music which was this is out of the ashes of a band called Vice Versa, yeah. Um, which was kind of a making music, which was kind of very funky, but uh, and and had a sort of pulse to it and a swing to it, a pocket, but also had, had that sort of edge that was around in those early eighties. 
period. And a lot of other bands did that. I mean, yeah, musically, my shared a flat with Addie Newton from Clock DVA, Richard Kirk, Cabaret Voltaire, Mal. You used to see those guys every other day almost. You know, it was a music scene was incredible. It was Salon Graf, uh, Def Leppard, um, trying to think. I don't know, you know, the Artery, I'm So Hollow. Like bands everywhere you look. So you'd kind of be seeing a band, one, you know, every other night, checking them out. They'd be checking you out. So we definitely came from that. The, the yeah, streets were on fire. The music was really inspiring. It didn't really matter if it was sold on or, 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 or sold lots of records or anything. But with us, we had the vision we wanted to kind of make something that was very shiny. We'd say goodbye to the 70s. It was a radical move to do the things we did. We said, no, we want to take our stuff further. In a way, I, you know, I'm putting orchestra onto music like that was a kind of radical step, you know, at the time. Now it's not, of course. You know, it's a different world now. And, you know, music changes every four seconds, you know, it kind of develops and kind of changes. But it was a radical move to do some of the things we did. We sold a lot of records, so that changes the perspective on the band. Yeah, definitely. But it wasn't really like, oh, there's all the left field guys. We want to wave bye-bye to that and become, um, you know, ultra popular. But it just kind of... It just kind of morphed, yeah. And, and, you know, the Human League had a very similar trajectory with their music too. Um, That led from being boiled to uh, Don't You Want Me Baby and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, I I can... We started with Giuliagi and uh, New Girls Neutrons with Vice Versa, the guys in Vice Versa, and I joined later. And it kind of morphed to uh, Tears Not Enough, Poison Iron. There was to the look of love, a, a pop tune. But when something becomes really popular, you've no control over it. It just kind of it exists, and then if enough people like it, it becomes a pop hit. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't start out like that because otherwise you could do it every single time. So it's kind of an interesting process, yeah. Well, I think that's kind of what I'm saying because you, you, with the exception of the Human League, that I would argue that came from more abrasive origins than the... In a way, uh, Jarvis did a similar thing with Pulp when they kind of reached the yeah. point of common people, number one, you know, there's a band, an experimental band, really, yeah, originally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no, but it, it, it's what you're saying is that that wasn't so, um, I don't know, that wasn't so, um, it wasn't plotted in, in in that way. We tell people it was plotted, yeah, just to wind them up. Yeah, we say, yeah, this was, you know, if only I could write the book. You see books... Uh, in W.H. Smith's about the music business, you know, chapter one, how to get a recording contract, chapter two, get a publishing deal. Right, right. But he, there, even... There even the, people that never succeed in the music business to read, you know. Yeah, but even the way that even the way that you dressed or even the way that you sang or, you know, you, you must have known that you were positioning yourself in such a way that maybe it was different to some of your peers. Oh, it was totally different, yeah. That was the whole point of it, to be the complete, the opposite of what was going down. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Uh, revolt into style, definitely. And I mean, I was talking to you earlier very briefly about the you know, pistols and the subway sect. And you kind of, you saw Susie and the Banshees, the pistols, the clash, the buzzcocks. You weren't going to form a punk band and try and kind of be more punk than those guys. That was a kind of complete thing. Our generation moved, you know, into a different style. I think that happens all the time in music. It's a healthy thing. Well, that's the thing that I think is quite... We were kind of um, 79, 80, 80, 81, I suppose. That's when the band was forming, you know. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's one of the things that's interesting about that era of music is that, uh, you know, one of the reasons I, you know, I, I really like punk rock, but one of the reasons I'm not so into, like, the kind of period of punk that follows, like, the the punk explosion is that it just kind of continues that sound. And I think that's what's interesting is that you had these people who came from punk, they were fans yeah. of punk, but they wanted to do something different. They wanted to evolve a sound. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the whole point of it. It's not like joining, you know, working in a bank or joining the army. It's just about being as maverick as you possibly can be uh, to wind the guys up in the pub. You know, that's that's pretty much it. Um, it was interesting with, with working with Trevor Horn, and then he's, the next client he worked with was Malcolm McLaren. So Malcolm McLaren would come down and hang out sometimes. And then he, he was plotting his kind of thing with Gary Langan and Trevor, which was Buffalo Gals and uh, the record they went and went made with scratching and kind of barn dancing. Yeah. It was fascinating seeing him then because I'd loved the rock and roll swindle and all that other stuff. You know what I mean? So yeah, people it's, forget. I mean, I was reading a book about uh, Bob Dylan Chronicles and he was kind of tight with Bobby Darren because they were from the same part of the world. You tend to think of people as being from different eras. You know, that's the kind of rock and roll hall of fame, hard rock version of uh, what happens. But you find there's a lot of interfacing with music. I mean, we knew the guys in Saxon in Sheffield because Steve Singleton's mum worked in a bar where they used to drink. So they were like really helpful to us about drum kits and, you know, where do you buy a PA system? Yeah. You'd never think it, but yeah, yeah, that's the beautiful thing about a music scene, really. Yeah, I, I like that. That cross-pollinization and that cross-fertilization. That's what it's about. This is the first time that Saxon have been mentioned on this podcast. I'm grateful for Why that. not? They're a great band. Yeah, they're a great band. There's a, I read a story today that I'd never heard before about how Bowie poked his head in when you were making the record and suggested this kind of answer phone thing in the middle eight of uh, Look of Love. Is that, yeah. have, I, have I got Love. that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were working uh, in Psalm East and we got kicked out. So we had in Brick Lane. So we a small basement studio. We're getting on with it. So we went to Good Earth Studios on the Tuesday and Wednesday that week to, you know, book a few days in there to keep them, you know, keep making the record. And it's Tony Visconti's studio. So Bowie showed up to see his friend. He's produced, you know, Tony Visconti produced all those brilliant records for Bowie. Yeah. They were friends. So he came and came down. And for us, it was mind blowing because we were massive, still are, but back then, massive Bowie fans, you know, he and Bowie's, Bowie's role. I mean, yeah, he's still the same now. He's still, he's the king of, uh, you know, it's hard to describe his influence. Massive. So for him to be standing there and hanging out and making jokes and yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And he was interested in what we were doing. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know if he knew the band. But he was definitely had his finger on the pole. And he always did throughout his whole career. He'd always check new acts out. So he'd make a few suggestions about where I do, on the look of love, there's a section. We vowed never to have a guitar solo on our records because that was in our manifesto in the early, in the late, early 80s. You know, the 70s was over. We weren't doing that. Yeah. We weren't even going to have a harmonica solo, you know. Yeah. So we had this space. And in the end, I did a little speech about, made some stuff up and that fills the eight bar section. But Bowie's idea was to um, use an answering machine message. Yeah, just keep landing this message to, her, to somebody who's never going to pick up. You know, that's a great poignant you know, thing to happen in the middle of a song like Look Alone. Yeah, yeah. There's, um... uh, so, but in a way, I mean, you know, we'd never, it was just like him sprinkling his magic dust on it. It was kind of like, so cool. He's just hanging out, having a cup of coffee with Tony Visconti, his mate, you know. You, now, uh... he wasn't that old then. You know, it was kind of like he was the next, 
but there's the guy, there's Ziggy Stardust, you know, there's the guy that did Diamond Dogs and Low and Heroes, you know. He's morphing into uh, Let's Dance, isn't he, at this point in time, I suppose. You mentioned uh, a manifesto. Was there literally a manifesto? Yeah, yeah, there was. When vice versa, we had a manifesto, which was anti, uh, I'm through with Matt and into gloss and this whole idea about get out of the galleries and burn up some calories. And it's kind of like that, fuck art, let's dance sort of thing. In the manifesto, we're anti-digital. We were, we were an electronic band, but we wanted to sound like, we wanted to be like The Clash, more aggressive, you know, like DAF, I suppose. And, you know. I mean, you're not doing a lot to prove. So no, 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 no. Uh, so the manifesto meant uh, originally it's kind of a rule book. Yeah, I mean, it's to amuse ourselves, but to separate ourselves from Cabaret Voltaire and Human League and the other bands in our sort of social music circle. But yeah, so oh, we'd always have it. We'd always say, "What would Joe Strummer do?" Or you know, you know, how would Roxy Music apply it? You know, we'd nick bits from them, but. Our manifesto was pretty much, yeah, there's no, no, you're not wearing, no leather trousers. No, no, get, get your hair cut. You know, it was kind of, but Trevor Horn always used to say there are no rules, only the ones you choose to apply, which is a great phrase. Oh, I think. that is good, isn't it? So we're, in retrospect, I think, yeah, he was applying his own rules, but yeah, he's saying, yeah. When, when, I was when you make a record, he meant, and he said like, you don't have to go and spend four years learning to play clarinet. We can actually get a guy that can play clarinet to come in and play on your record which was a very revolutionary way of looking at things after punk rock, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, you're not doing that's a where a lot of the sheen, a lot of the polish and, you know, you've got some strings on some of it uh, on the original record. That's where all that came from. That's for the lexicon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not doing a lot to dispel the perception that I have of ABC and yourself as being, um, well, you know, like I say, having having um, whiteboards and the, this almost being a kind of meta art project. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, the whole thing was like, yeah. Oh, well, I'm pleased that we've... I think that's what everybody should be doing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because you're creating your own universe, the world of ABC. Yeah, that's what... That's what... That's why the record... That's what we did do successfully, all of us together, everybody collaborating on that record. Because that's why it's kind of... People still listen to it now in a funny kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. I think the best records, when I buy Marvin Gaye, what's going on? It's just what's going on in his head, isn't it? It's like incredible. Slice that going on. It's another classic record. Or or Ziggy Stardust. You know, Bowie's introducing you to a world where he's prophesizing he's going to be the biggest rock star, you know, in the universe. It's kind of that. I like that tradition in music. Definitely. Yeah. It's funny listening to you talk, though. You almost talk more like a musician than a, than a musician. Oh, I was, well, I am a musician, but I've always... I'm a singer. Yeah, I'm a singer in the band. Um, but it's about the ideas, you know, and the stuff that, you know, that's what I think Kraftwerk was or James Brown or, you know, David Bowie or Roxy Music. That's what it... Everything... Going back to Sheffield to do the live album, well, I say to people, those songs came from those conversations sitting in Bowood Road at Steve's basement talking shit or under beehive and the raven on a friday night or you know wednesday at pennies your music has to come from somewhere it can't just live in a sort so it doesn't come from a from a, a a board you know like you say but but you need to organize yourselves as a band but it doesn't it, it comes from that's what the best music does it just come it's ingrained from the places you live yeah i think that's uh, i think that's our time but that's uh, a yeah 
I think that's a I think that's a really nice place to end this, Martin. Thanks so much for speaking to me. It's been a Yeah, a real thank pleasure. you. Yeah, all the best. Well that was episode 135. Thanks to Martin for the chat. Thanks to Sasha Taylor Cox for hooking us up. The theme tune is by the band Jobbers. And I'll see you soon. I used to work in a factory. What, what do you? Making washing machines. <laughs> it was bloody awful.